All right, church family. Let's get in God's word together this morning. Uh, we'll be in Matthew 24, 1 through 14 today. Matthew 24, 1 through 14. And title of the sermon is The Last Days Prepare. The Last Days Prepare. We thought it would be kind of nice, you know, just to ease into 2023 by talking about seven woes last week and then um, the last days for the next three weeks. That sound good, right? In the sequence of Matthew, uh, that's how we're starting our 2023. And uh, we trust the Lord. It's so good to um, be discipled by Him and to be disciples of Him. Um, one of the greatest illusions that uh, we face and we see is that things are stronger than they appear. That is one of the biggest illusions in our lives. Uh, for instance, not roofs leak and knees creak, mine more than ever. Uh, relationships rift, heroes fall, and on and on. And uh, then there's even bigger illusions of strength, like buildings and the earth and nations, each of which Jesus is going to talk about in this passage. So in Matthew 24, Jesus disciples the 12 and us about how to prepare ourselves today for the end times during which all which seems strong will crumble. So the question is, will we crumble? When all that seems strong around us is crumbling, will we also crumble? And that leads us to our big idea Today, it's a bit longer than usual, but I know you can handle it. This is the big idea today. May we not crumble like temples, the earth, and nations will, because our firm foundation is Jesus, right? May we not crumble like temples, the earth, and nations will, because our firm foundation is Jesus, so first, Jesus sets the subject, and then he offers application throughout, all right? First up is just very simply intel from verses 1 and 2, intel, intelligence from verses 1 through 2. So look at this, verses 1 and 2 of Matthew 24, Jesus left the temple and was going away. When his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, but he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Quite an intro to Matthew 24, which is called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus and the disciples are sitting on the Mount of Olives. They're overlooking um, what they, um, they are overlooking Jerusalem. They're overlooking where God has met with his people. And Jesus just said that all of this is gonna be thrown down. It's quite a statement. The temple that Jesus is referring to was the building designed by God where God graciously met with his people. That, that was the purpose of the temple. And you've got to imagine what the disciples were feeling in this moment. The disciples had great memories there. They had spiritually life-changing moments in that building. They learned about God there. They learned to know God there. From that building, they'd been sent out to be light in the world. There was a lot that had happened there. That was their spiritual place where their spiritual community gathered, where their spiritual foundations were laid. They loved this building. They were thankful for God providing this building in which they could worship. 
And then the building itself was an architectural engineering marvel. For instance, some stones were 40 feet by 12 feet by 12 feet, weighing 200,000 pounds, right? Just to give you an idea of what 40 by 12 by 12 is, that wall to that wall is a little less than 40, and the front of this stage to the back of the stage is only 11, so think 12, and then from where my feet are to the ceiling, that's about 12. So imagine a bunch of stones that big stacked on one another like Legos or Tetris, whichever is your favorite thing to do, right? Imagine all of that built up and you think that thing is immovable. That thing is beautiful. That's, that's where God has met with me. I'm so thankful for what he's done. So, so for Jesus to say to the disciples, this temple where you've met with God and experienced so many things built with unbreakable stone and an unmovable arrangement, it will be torn down, all of it, every single stone. That was stunning. To the disciples. And when Jesus says these big statements, he's not exaggerating. He's not exaggerating. So with this intel from Jesus, we have questions, don't we? We're like, um, so when and what, what is that going to look like and how is that happening? And then and then why is that happening? And then who is going to do it? And we have all of these questions, all of which are good and important questions. And Jesus answers these questions and he invests, most importantly, as we'll see in this chapter, in our preparation. Right? He is going to answer the, the when and the what and the how and the why and all of those things to some extent, to the extent that we can handle these things. But most importantly, he is about our preparation so that's our next point, readiness. Here's how Jesus is investing in us. He, he tells them, verses one and two, the temple, it's gonna be destroyed, right? Like imagine if you no longer had a place to come and worship, right? It kind of happened to us in 2020, right? Like we couldn't do it and it was just us on our own, but we were able to communicate with one another. So, so without a worship service, is your faith strong enough? Without the place that you love, is your faith strong enough? When all of those things crumble and it looks like faith itself is in question, is your faith strong enough? So Jesus, on the heels of that stunning statement, leans them toward readiness from verses three through eight to prepare them. So verse three says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the signs of your coming and the close of the age? Very reasonable questions. I think we would have asked the exact same questions. Okay, you gave us some intel, Jesus. Let's see if we can get more out of you on this. Like what, what else is coming? So the other night we were hanging with some dear friends and during the blessing, the dad prayed, Lord, make us ready for whatever is ahead. And y'all know when you're hanging out with people and you, you pray for the meal and sometimes it's just like we do it because we love the Lord, but we're ready to eat and the kids are going crazy. And so let's just pray. I was like, this man just delivered a legit prayer in this moment. And I heard it. And I remember telling him like, I'm going to, I'm going to steal that great prayer. So check, right? Like I've just did it. Eight, eight days later, uh, I've already used it in a, in a sermon illustration, right? Lord, make us ready for whatever is 
ahead. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing with the disciples here. Each day, we get ready for the day. Thankfully, all of you got ready to be here today, right? We all, we all got up, we got dressed, many of us showered, some of you didn't, right? We're, we all gathered, and we, we got ready for today. And part of being a disciple is getting ready for the last days. Part of being a disciple is getting ready for the last days. It's what Jesus is going to invest in his disciples in the entire chapter of Matthew 24. And in order to be ready for the last days, we need to know two things. And when I'm studying this passage this week, I'm like, praise God that it's just two things. And it's not just two things, but it's two primary things that he's going to give us in these next few verses. Like, think about this. The last days are coming, and Jesus boiled down what to do to two things, right? Like, I could make up a list of 20 immediately. Jesus is like, just two. This is all you can handle, okay? All right, just two. So from verses four through five, it's this. Know the real Christ, lest we be led astray. What do we need to know? Who do we need to know in order to endure the last days. And the first one is know the real Christ lest we be led astray from verses four through five. So Jesus, verse four, and Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. Right, the best way to know a counterfeit bill is to know what a real bill looks like right? All of us have seen TV shows like FBI, whatever, like those shows. It's like the best way to know a counterfeit $100 bill is to know what a real $100 bill looks like. The best way to know a counterfeit Christ is to know the real Jesus, right? So we know the real Jesus. It's one of the many important reasons for each of us to know the Lord so that we can easily reject popular fakes such as earn your way to heaven, or earn your best life now through good works, right? Will you be able to reject popular fakes? And the answer to whether or not you will be able to is how well you know the real Jesus. Because what Jesus is saying here, that this isn't going to be like an easy decision, like that's clearly not Jesus. He's saying everyone is going to be following these false Christs. And it is going to be the popular thing to do. And you're going to be the weirdo if you don't. But do you know me or are you going to give in to the fakes? And so we got to know him. It's not like just a small 1% of people are going to give in to these false Christs. It's going to be a high percentage of people who have previously followed the Lord who are going to be like, I think I'm more comfortable following this Jesus than the real Jesus. But they're not going to know the difference. And so Jesus is upping the quality of discipleship here, isn't he? Like if there's ever an argument for a quality of discipleship over a quantity of disciples, this is one of them. Jesus is about quality here, knowing the Lord, not just being nominal in your faith, like I'm a Christian, but like really knowing Jesus, having a relationship with him so you can point him out in a lineup of a bunch of false Jesuses and there's one real. So will you be able to reject popular false Jesus is popular, false gospels, because there'll be a lot of other good news in those days, but only Jesus has the real good news, right? The second thing to know, the first one is know the real Christ, lest we be led astray. The second one is know that wars and earthquakes are signs of the end. Know that wars and earthquakes are signs of the end. So 
We're probably familiar with this one. As if you've been uh, a believer for any amount of time, been at church any amount of time, listened to read books or listened to podcasts on these things, you probably heard some of the phrases that are in these next verses. From verses six through eight, it says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars and see that you are not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places and these are but the beginning of the birth pains. All right, we talk about this a lot in the Gospel of Matthew as Jesus is doing signs and wonders and miracles. We ask the question, what do signs do? What do signs do? Signs point us toward something more important. Signs aren't like, look at me, I'm the sign. Signs are like, look at something else, right? A road sign is telling you to be aware of something more important than the road sign. So Jesus is saying that wars and earthquakes are signs of the end. So for us as Christians, earthquakes and nations warring are not just headlines, they are signs. The earth quaking and nations warring are not just headlines, they are signs. And how do we know that? It's because Jesus is equipping us with this right now. He's teaching us, right? Earthquakes are signs that the earth is shakable. Think about this with me. Earthquakes are signs of what? That the earth is shakable and is not the most solid rock. You see what Jesus is doing as he's pointing us toward himself? We who are so given to be like the earth, it's the strongest thing, or this building, it's the strongest thing, and Jesus is like, shakeable, shakeable, will shake, will shake, will shake, I won't. He's pointing us toward himself. He's drawing us toward confidence in him, toward believing in him and recognizing he is the one that will never change yesterday, today, or tomorrow. He is the one that will endure. He is the one that is eternal. And everything else that we think is so reliable and we're building our lives on, he's like, don't do it. It's shakable. It's shakable. And in fact, it will shake. So earthquakes are signs that the earth is shakable, not the most solid rock Jesus is. And then nations warring are signs that nations are shakable, not the eternal kingdom. Nations warring are signs that nations are shakable and not the eternal kingdom. So we're reminded of the kingdom of God. We're reminded of kingdom of God things. And so he's teaching us to get our eyes off of the things of this world and to lift our eyes to him and to focus on him and to make sure our feet are set on one of my favorite songs right now that I'll, I'll like, you know, turn the music, turn the sound up and like turn the windows down. Uh, not this morning because it was 27 degrees when I drove in, right? But normally uh, is a song called Firm Foundation, He Won't. And here, here are some lyrics from that song. And they're so fitting for this passage today. Uh, the lyrics are, Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. With, when everything around me is shaken, I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus because he's never let me down. He's faithful through generations, so why would he fail now? He won't. 
And so in those moments when these things are happening and nations are warring and earths or earths are quaking, I said earths, right? I guess, you know, maybe that's true too, right? Earth is quaking. We're going to be tempted to think Jesus is failing. Everything's shaking. But the disciple of Jesus recognizes, no, he told us this is going to happen. He told us this is going to happen. Am I going to shake? Am I going to crumble? While everything else is shaking and crumbling, am I going to shake? Am I going to crumble? Or am I going to be glad that I have my faith in Jesus? Will my faith still be in Jesus in those moments? He's discipling them. He's discipling us now that these things are coming and to be ready. That's readiness for today's shaking and the end times. Just think about this in a I don't, know, I don't know what you're going through right now personally, but everything that is shaking in your life right now, everything that's not reliable in your life, if Jesus can get you through the end times where literally the earth is quaking and nations are warring, he can help you through today. If he can walk you through these end times that are coming for sure, he can walk you through today. He's strong enough for that. He's strong enough for today. And I pray that I pray that's a great encouragement to you. This is Jesus, our Lord, who knows all things. He knows He knows what's coming and he's caring for us and he's discipling us to it. So readiness is the first thing he does to prepare us. But readiness causes something glorious. Readiness causes steadiness, right? The person that's steady is ready. They, they spent time to be ready. And so now they're steady. And all of us want to be steady people when everyone around us is freaking out. And we're like, we know what is happening. We know who the Lord is. Readiness leads to steadiness from verses 9 through 12. So here's verse 9. Verse 9 says, They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. You know, like I said, we're just easing into 2023, right? Jesus just said some really, really hard things right there in verse 9. For some, maybe us, we could be killed for our faith in Jesus. For others, maybe us, we will be hated by the nation's for our faith in him. Being killed and being hated, I would say is harder than the earth quaking and nations warring because it's more personal. But Jesus is now given a four deep list of difficult things that are coming and can you withstand them because your foundation is Jesus Christ, right? This is a Strange way to start an illustration, but if you've used the bathroom here at Harvest recently, um, in each bathroom is a calendar that is from the Voice of the Martyrs. And each day of the year is a little bit of, of info about how to pray for Christians in some particular country around the world that are facing persecution. And so we as, as Americans can kind of look and think like, there's the persecuted church out there. I don't feel super persecuted. Sometimes I might feel marginalized, but I don't feel super persecuted. But then you read of what's happening around the world. And, and I just got to tell you, like when they read this passage, they're thinking they're in the end times. They're thinking they are being killed. They are being hated by nations, by their own nation. And so we as believers recognize, like, I got to be steady now. I got to be ready now. We want to fast forward our discipleship in this and, so that we're ready, 
so that we can be steady. So knowing these things, knowing that we could be killed for our faith in him, knowing that we will be hated by the nations for our faith in him, here's a, here's a big question. And I think this was the big question to the disciples then. It wasn't the big question that Jesus was asking word by word, but I think the one that the disciples were receiving and Jesus was was kind of non-verbally asking them. I think that question is, are you still all in? Are you still all in? Are you still a disciple of Jesus? Knowing that these things are coming, knowing that you could be killed for your faith, knowing that you could be hated for your faith, by the way, 11 of 12 were. Knowing all of that could happen, are you still in? Is Jesus your Lord or are or good times or a worry-free life your Lord? I think so often we're like, I love Jesus until the going gets tough. And then we get a little stronger in our discipleship and we're like, I, I love Jesus until the going gets really tough. And then the more we get, but it's like, I love Jesus no matter what is where Jesus wants us to be here. I love Jesus no matter what. He is my firm foundation. When everything else is shaking, he is my firm foundation. He's readied me for that so I can be steady in that moment, right? If your Lord is good times and a worry-free life, that is a terrible Lord. Jesus never promised that for us, right? He said, in this world, you will experience tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world, right? That's a promise, you will experience tribulation, but take heart, he's overcome the world. He's discipling us, he's discipling us. So question, what is the typical and unreadied response to the threat of death and hate? What is the typical unreadied response to the threat of death and hate? It would be unsteadiness, right? Right, like just easy, right? Of course I would be unsteady with that threat. I'd be so unsteady. So what Jesus does next from verses 10 through 12 is he gives us three evidences of unsteadiness versus the evidence of steadiness. All right, so here's verses 10 through 12. Follow along with me as I read this. He just keeps getting more specific and we're so thankful for his discipleship of us in these ways. He says, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. I just jumped ahead. So verses 10 through 12, Jesus is giving three evidences of unsteadiness, and I want to give you the evidence of steadiness. The first one, evidence of unsteadiness, is falling away and betraying one another because of the pressure. Who's the one another? It's other Believers, it's other Christians, it's your brothers and sisters in Christ. Look, verse 10 is, is, so, is so stunning to us. Many will fall away. That's talking about Christians. So they fall away, and as they're falling away, they betray one another, and as they're betraying one another, they hate one another. So, so what'll happen when we're unsteady, if we're not ready, is we'll fall away and we'll betray one another because of the pressure. So what is the evidence of steadiness in those moments? The evidence of steadiness is loving one another. The evidence of steadiness is loving one another, right? One of the three primary commands that Jesus gives in the New Testament is love one another. And that isn't just about like, you know, enjoying fellowship and hanging out and having, having friends here at the church and all of that and like enjoying brownies at small group, right? 
right? Loving one another is being committed to one another no matter what. Like when you're so tempted to betray one another and to run and to cast blame and and to split up, instead Jesus is saying, love one another, bind together. And I gotta say, I I think there there are great signs that I think we will in those moments that are super difficult because we we already are in so many ways. Something hard is happening and we don't retreat, we lean in, right? Something difficult we're facing, something confusing we're facing, we lean in, we don't retreat. And that's just what we gotta do in the future. We gotta love one another. That's the evidence of readiness and steadiness. The second thing is being led astray by false teachers because we like our ears tickled, right? Being led astray by false teachers because we like our ears tickled from verse 11. I love that the the scriptures in several places talk about people will be given to, to teachings that tickle their ears. One reason I like that is because I never want my ears tickled, all right? Um, and I don't know if y'all are like that as people, but I don't like the thought of anyone tickling my ears. And when, when Paul's writing about that in Timothy, he's talking about easy messages that sound a whole lot better than the reality of how things are. And so we're led astray because we're like, I like that and, and everything's gonna be fine and, I, and we're, we're blessed, right? And all that stuff. It's like Jesus did not guarantee us those things. He guaranteed us heaven. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But like our ears getting tickled, we've gotta train ourselves to just want the meat of God's word, amen? And like get that in our, in our ears instead of what is so popular, which is, the, the surface level sounds Christian, kind of is Christian, but isn't deepening your faith, isn't even strong enough for you to hold on to when the going gets tough. That's, that's getting your ears tickled. So what's the antidote to that? It's loving God. It's loving God, right? Love God for who he is and, and love God, right? And then we, we think of who he is versus who everyone else says he is. And everyone else is saying something that tickles our ears and we're like, no, 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 this is who God is. He is my rock. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That's my God. And we trust him and believe him. And then the third evidence of unsteadiness is that our love for others grows cold because of the lawlessness. From verse 12. Our love for others grows cold because of the lawlessness. So this, this is when, rather than continuing our mission to, to reach other people, <coughs> with the gospel, we're like, man, what they are doing is so detestable to us. It's so lawless. I don't, I can't even be around. Them. I can't share the gospel with them. I can't do any of these things. And, and a mark of Christianity is sharing our faith with those who do not yet know him. And a mark of Christianity is recognizing that was us before Jesus caught us and, and redeemed us. So by all means, we have to keep doing ministry. So the antidote of that is loving others. The antidote of our love for others growing cold because of the lawlessness is loving others. So think about that. The three primary commands that Jesus gives in the New Testament, love God, love one another, love others. Those three things that we practice now, that we do now, will carry us through the difficult end times that are coming. He's already, we're already doing them. And he's saying, ready yourself and steady yourself in these things toward those days. So the questions are, will we, will we be ready, knowing the going will get tough. And we do that by knowing Jesus. We ready ourselves by knowing Jesus. And then the second question is, will we be steady when the going is tough? And that steadiness looks like loving God, loving one another, and loving others. So if so, 
what will occur is something we all admire and long for, and that's our last point today. It's endurance, endurance. So Jesus gives us intel, and then he's discipling us toward readiness and then toward steadiness, and that leads us toward endurance from verses 13 and 14. Verse 13, this is so awesome. He says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And do y'all know what that is from verse 13? You know what that is? That's a promise. And I'm so glad that Jesus dropped a promise in the middle of this passage, aren't you? He said, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And that word saved here in this moment isn't describing your conversion or it's not describing salvation that you gotta earn through endurance. This word saved is describing your completion of the race. It's helping us visualize crossing the finish line, throwing off all the sin and all the weight that so easily entangles and running the race that Jesus has marked out for us. He's ahead, he's at the finish line, he's with us as we're running. That's how we visualize getting through this. We endure to the end and that end is gonna be so awesome. It means we're in heaven. It means we're seeing Jesus face to face. It means we're hearing him say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter your rest. And we're like, right? Yes, I'm here. No more sin, no more pain, no more suffering, no more tribulation. You will be saved. That's where Jesus wants our eyes. He doesn't want our eyes on the earth's quaking and the nations warring and on the hate and on, on the martyrdom. He wants our eyes on him. He wants our eyes on the finish line. He who endures to the end will be saved. He wants to get us there. And that's his aim. So notice that Jesus didn't promise you will be saved from the difficult stuff. Jesus didn't promise that, did he? He did not say you will be saved from the difficult stuff. What did Jesus promise in verse 13? He promised you will be saved to the eternal. You will be saved to the eternal. And we gotta get that right. It's part of our discipleship. Life here is gonna be hard. And, and honestly, you read the scriptures, I think it's gonna get harder especially over the, over the arc of time. And Jesus didn't save us from difficult stuff. He's saving us to the eternal. He's saving us from our sins and he's saving us to the eternal. So the big question, another big question, is if Jesus loves us so much, if Jesus loves us so much, which he does, he died on the cross for you, right? He died on the cross for us. He gave his life for us to pay the penalty of our sin. He does love us. His love is demonstrated in this, that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. He does love us. So, so a question is, if Jesus loves us so much, why doesn't Jesus protect us from this tribulation? If he loves us so much, why doesn't he protect us from this? And I could see a, a lost person, a naysayer about Christianity, a, a, a hater saying, what a terrible savior Jesus is. He makes you endure tribulation. And we're like, what, what do we say to that? So here's verse 14. Jesus closes this section by saying, in this gospel of the kingdom, think about that good news, that's, that's spiritual meat. That's not like ears tickling. Of the kingdom, that's his kingdom, not the warring kingdoms that are gonna end. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. So he just answered when. He's answered how, he's answered what. He just answered when. 
Not a date, but a mission. So why must we endure tribulation and hard times and earthquakes and wars? Why must we endure all of that? And the answer is in order to proclaim the good news of Jesus to all nations. Why are we still here? What's our purpose? It's to be light for Jesus in this dark and dying world. He has us here so that we can proclaim the good news of Jesus while everyone, us included, are going through the difficult things. He has us here as missionaries today, tomorrow, into the future to proclaim the kingdom of God the good news. That's why we're here. The going is going to get tough, but for everyone, it's tough, us included. And we, amidst that, can be light and evangelist to other people, sharing with them. Jesus said these things are going to happen, and we can have our hope in him. He is our firm foundation. Get your feet on Jesus the rock. Get your feet on him. Y'all, God's biggest priority is not to deliver us from temporary suffering. but that's how we pray sometimes, right? God's biggest priority is not to deliver us from temporary suffering, but to deliver the nations from eternal suffering. So we endure, why? To share our faith. That's why we endure. We endure to get to the finish line, but while we're getting to the finish line, it's to share our faith. God's biggest priority, one of God's biggest priorities is not to deliver us from temporary suffering, but to deliver the nations from eternal suffering. So we endure, why? To share our faith. We see from verse 14 that Jesus wants every nation to be reached. So be a missionary. In our city, in our world, be a missionary. You read verse 14, you're like, yep, my life will include missions to some extent or maybe in a big way. And Jesus wants every person to hear. He wants every nation, tongue, and tribe to hear. Heaven is gonna include every nation, tongue, and tribe. So we share our faith and we share our hope in Jesus with everyone, with every type of person in every corner of this planet. We share our faith. So the discipleship from this passage today, it's critical in two major ways. Number one is the end times are coming, right? Clear. And we're gonna talk about that this week, next week, and the following. And then the second one is that Jesus can be your firm foundation. He can be your firm foundation. So as we're thinking about this, as we're reflecting on this, as the Spirit's working in you, some questions are, are you one foot on him and one foot on another, right? Or are you like both feet on another or are you both feet on Jesus Christ? And this is a both feet on Jesus Christ moment. This is a quality of discipleship moment. Are you really with Jesus? When the going gets tough, are you gonna run? Are you really with him? Are you really with him today? In in such a way that no matter how crazy life gets, you're still with him. Or as things shake, will you be shaken away from the Lord? And Jesus is discipling those disciples then and us today to, to hold fast to him. All right, so we're gonna share communion here in just a moment. And um, I wanna give us some time to reflect on several things as we share communion, okay? Um, we'll talk about how the Lord gives us this reminder of his crucifixion for us, his his body sacrificed and his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins and a new covenant of forgiveness. And I want us to reflect on just how amazing that is. That when all of these things are occurring, we know it is well with our souls. 
And as all of this is occurring, we know that we're light. And, and what is our light reflecting? It's reflecting the Lord. It's not reflecting what this world is saying. It's reflecting what Jesus has said. That's, that's light. That's new life and a world that so desperately needs it. And so the questions for our reflection now, number one, most importantly, is just are you in Christ? Are you saved? Are you forgiven? And if you're not, and if this passage puts that in question in any, in any sense, and I just pray you, you talk to the Lord about that, right? Confess your sin before Jesus. He's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Confess your sins, that he's Lord, that he's paid the penalty of your sin on the cross, and you will be saved, right? Or maybe you're, you're thinking like, I got one foot on Jesus and one foot on, on another, and, and maybe you feel like you're just like leaning back and forth all the time. And I pray today, just lift the foot off the other and put it all on Jesus. Maybe it's things in this world. Maybe it's aspirations. Maybe it's things that are strong that you think are strong, but Jesus is like, it ain't strong, it's shakable, right? Just let him minister to you in that and call out what's shakable as shakable and say to Jesus, Jesus, you're not shakable and I put everything on you, right? And then the other one is just what life's about. And it, it clearly in this passage is like, discipleship and sharing the good news of Jesus with other people, right? Right, being a light and being a disciple of Jesus, the real deal, quality disciple, not Jesus, not Christian nominally in name only, not easy believism, but like this is, this is the Lord who's coming to this world and it's still messed up, but he's got a plan and I wanna help people through what's coming, right? So just pray through those things. I know I just gave you a lot, but just pray for a moment, reflect, and, uh, and I'll close us in prayer and lead us in communion in just a moment.